Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is revisiting the Maryland basketball scene, but of course, we had to bring the guys on for this one. So introducing first from the Impact, please welcome Ian Evans. What's going on, everybody? Happy to be back. I mean, this is, look. As a Maryland guy, as all of us pretty much being somewhat Maryland affiliated, we needed to talk about this. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely glad to be including this conversation. Our other guest today from the Hear Me Out podcast, please welcome Brooks Warren. What to do, y'all? I am ready to talk about Mark Turgeon and his Maryland basketball thing. <laughs> you know how I feel about him, so let's get to it because I'm on fire and I'm ready. <laughs> Well, we shouldn't waste any more time. And, of course, Jalen's got some questions for us. So, Jalen, here you go. Your turn. Yes, bro. I've been telling the boys off camera that I am not as hip to the Maryland scene as you guys are. Being a UNC guy, being a guy who was born in Atlanta, Georgia, more of a Georgia Bulldogs guy um, in that regards. Maryland basketball has been one of those things that has become a new love of mine between going to Towson University and then, being in this area for so long. So I've been trying to learn a lot over the last couple of months, especially with the Hoop Talk podcast covering college basketball's full season this year as compared to last year. We didn't really get to see as much of it. So we're going to start with men, uh, with women's Maryland basketball because they're the team that went the furthest. They're the team that season was pretty much the best overall, not only in terms of their tournament production, but overall what they were able to do on the season. Some things to note for listeners and for you guys as well in terms of just kind of getting an overview of their season. Um, only two losses on the year. Um, finished first in the Big Ten as Big Ten champions this year. Have four wins against raked opponents overall um, in the regular season. Their big loss that took them down in the Sweet 16 was to Charlie Collier, who was projected to be the number one overall pick in this year's WNBA draft. That's literally not even a, a week away now, Ryan. And Charlie Collier and the Texas Longhorns took them out in the Sweet 16. It's a very close game. From everything that you know about how they've played this season, from what you've seen on the court from them, and just also their, their time in the tournament, what are you guys' initial takeaways from the Lady Terp season? Ryan, we'll start with you. Well, I would say one of my initial take takeaways is that Maryland has always been, Maryland women's basketball has always been consistent. And this is a team that we expected to win a lot of games and they had the talent to win a lot of games. Now, of course, the loss to Texas hurts, but they lost to a very good Texas team with a potential number one overall pick in Charlie Collier. So I don't think that's anything to be disappointed about. And Maryland has been consistently making the Sweet 16. They've been consistently making the Elite Eight. They've been doing something the Maryland men haven't been able to do, and that's make it past the round of 32. So, that, so I would say that's a huge win for them. And they're getting a lot of their players back from this past season to potentially run it back. I'm talking about uh, Diamond Miller, Ashley Owusu, Chloe Bibby, if she doesn't declare for the WNBA draft, Mimi Collins. And we haven't mentioned the fact that Angel Reese really wasn't healthy for the, for the better part of last season. So I think if she's healthy, that's a huge addition to this already loaded Maryland team. So I'm really expecting nothing less than 
probably a two or a three C from this Maryland team again. Brooks, that's pretty high regards for a Maryland team that, like Ryan has said, has been really consistent over the last couple of years. Um, Brenda Freeze, their coach, was elected as AP Women's Coach of the Year this season. How do you feel about her job overall on the, for this team, not only this season, but over the last couple of years? Like I said, with this team being, a, being a, an overall program that's at least reaching the Sweet 16 every single season, it's kind of hard to count them out every single year, right? So how do you feel about the job that she's done and the way the players have been on the court so far, at least this season in particular? First and foremost, man, before I even answer this question, basketball is basketball. Women's basketball is basketball. Let's get that record straight, man. <laughs> the game is a game, so let's respect it. Um, as far as your question goes, man, uh, Maryland women's basketball is, I believe, the diamond of DMV uh, college basketball. Uh, once again, like Ryan said, man, year in and year out, their Sweet 16 program, year in and year out, ACC contender, Big Ten contender now. Uh, consistently getting McDonald's All-Americans, uh, getting those Jordan Brand American girls. I mean, you look at Angel Reese. Angel Reese was supposed to be, like, one of the top players in the country, along with, you know, Paige, uh, Haley Von Lith, um, uh, Cam, oh, Cam, I can't remember her last name from Stanford. She's, um, her parents are, or godparents are the, are the Currys. Anyway, um, yeah, like, they're, they're just a great program, and they're always going to do what they got to do. I think Brenda Freeze has got job security for life, so she's never got to worry about that unless she wants to go to a different program. But where are you going to go to upgrade from Maryland? You know what I mean? So that's that's all I got to say about that. Cameron Brink was the name you were going for, my dude. Yeah, Cameron Brink. That was the one. Yeah. One of the better scorers for that team, too. Exactly. Um, Ian, the rest of them for winning the, the national championship as well. Big congrats. Ian, with that being the case, right, man, I mean, we're in a situation right now where you look at the state of Maryland women's basketball and really from a lot of the things, we'll kind of touch more so on the team that they're bringing back in a moment, but really from everything that you've seen this season, what is the bar set set for going into next year based on preconceived expectations, what you've seen this year, what you've seen from them? over the last couple of years, I mean, of course the goal is always to win a national championship, but I think at bare minimum, we have to see this team in the elite eight to feel like there's any progress now that we've seen a certain level of consistency at that wall. Right. Yeah. You honestly, you know, kind of answered my question 50, 50, I say elite eight. I mean, Ryan said, you know, Maryland has consistently gone to the sweet 16 and whether either been upset or had a disappointment happen. I mean, I did want to say this too. I mean, so Brenda Freese, you know, in Maryland, I'd say they got the juice, but they don't got the sauce yet. Now, for those of y'all who don't understand what that means, like what lasts long in the fridge? Does juice last longer in the fridge or does sauce last longer in the fridge? And if you say juice lasts longer, you clearly don't know how to cook. So get out the podcast. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but, that, but that's what I'm saying. They've consistently found ways to do great in the regular season, get to March Madness and find a way to either get upset or get somewhat disappointed in the Sweet 16. Teams like that got the sauce. I mean, you look at Arizona, who did well. You look at UConn, who's always had the sauce for years. Shout out to Gino Ariyama. You look at Stanford, who just won it this year, with Cameron Brink, who's been shooting, who honestly shot lights out throughout the whole tournament. That team has had the sauce. They found a way to stick and be consistent. 
throughout March Madness as a whole, I think what Maryland is lacking is a little bit of that sauce. They've found ways to have it throughout the regular season. I mean, we just saw like Brenda Fries won AP Coach of the Year. Like you, there's something working there. So like to answer your question, I say, you know, how long can you keep going to the Sweet 16 and not see any progression going forward, right? So I, I would say Elite Eight or any, honestly Final Four are best, especially with, we'll get into it like you said, but especially with a lot of people coming back. I don't know about Chloe B right now. We'll get into that later. But if she doesn't declare and, and she comes back, she didn't have the greatest game against Texas anyway. She shot like two for seven from three or something. That's kind of uh, uncharacteristic for her. But in terms of Maryland basketball, I would say Elite Eight or bust because especially with all these guys, with all these girls coming back, it's a very strong roster still. So I would say Elite Eight. So, and we're going to spin the block back that way to, to you and work our way back to Ryan. Uh, honestly, picking up with that point, you know what I mean? With the fact that they're bringing so many players back, the bigger thing that's noticed is their young core. I, I was telling Ryan off camera, I almost got slipped up in a situation with Diamond Miller and Ashley Owusu where I was like, are they going to declare for the draft? And I'm like, oh, they're sophomores. Wow. Okay. That makes things really interesting. You talk about Diamond Miller, Ashley Owusu, Mimi Collins, all all guys who are going to come back and lead the charge for next season. Then you throw in there the little discrepancy is that they do have three seniors that – could be on their way out now one of the things that a lot of people have to get an understanding of with the way the covid circumstances change the ncaa regulations is that seniors can actually return next season which is something that i think is going to be exploited in a lot of different ways i think in women's college basketball more than others because of the opportunity to not only raise stock but also just to have that experience back women's college basketball has a significantly shorter shelf life the men's college basketball, just because of the translation, um, a lot of women's basketball players are forced to go overseas to even play competitive basketball at a high level because the WNBA is so limited, 12 teams, the ability to only draft through three rounds. It's only, you know, 36 players who can be drafted outside of maybe undrafted free agency, which is too, not very potent. So when you look at this team, right, let's, like, let's do it from a statistical standpoint. I don't want to get, like, too crazy into it, but – we're talking about Owusu Miller being the two lead guards coming back. Obviously, Angel Reese was one of those that was mentioned in terms of her return coming back from injury. How do you feel about this team going into next season? Because I know with men's Maryland basketball, there's a there's this tendency, we'll actually talk about this a little later. There's this tendency to overhype mm-hmm. Maryland basketball because of the kind of teams that they bring back. Because we've seen this team hit a consistent ceiling, do you have faith in them to be able to make a deeper run with the roster that they're returning? Or do you still feel like there's something in particular that they might be missing? Uh, you know, for me, I think <laughs> – I hope I don't eat my words on this because, like you just said, like especially with the hype with Maryland, man, especially with, with Maryland in general – um it, it can obviously be overblown but for me I, I really do like uh what they have in store I do like that you know they have a lot of sophomores including some freshmen coming back uh, obviously um I'm also a very big fan not very big depending on her shooting consistency of faith I want to say Matt Masonesis or something like that I forgot her I don't know how to say her last name but mm-hmm. she's a sophomore all, all I'm saying is she she has a clip on her um, I, I really think it's a solid core coming back. 
Um, it, it, it's tough, man, because I know in Maryland, you really don't know. But um, like, like, let's, let's get into it. Uh, the consistency with this team is what I like, and this is why I think the hype is there. Because I really do think a lot of it depends on Chloe Bibby coming back. Grant, you did say because of eligibility that seniors do have the chance to come back. I don't know because she already is a highly, you know, touted prospect in general. Uh, even before she did transfer to Maryland, I want to say she was at Michigan, uh, Mississippi State beforehand. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I really think that this team has a lot to look forward to, especially with the young core, with Awusu, with Collins, with Miller, um, all sophomores. I really think that it'll be it'll be fine in the pro- in the process. I guess you could say we have to see what happens during the regular season. The only thing I'll say, I mean, we'll get into it later with the men's, but. Um, we, we're not hearing a lot with the transfer poor regards to women's than with men. So I think it's different in that regard. I think it's a solid core. I think Brendan Fries has a lot to work with. Um, I don't really know about the prospects coming in right now, but we'll see about that in the future. But I, I, I honestly say, I honestly think I'm believing the hype right now. So Brooks, one of the things that we saw throughout the tournament, right? We talk about Paige Buckets, as we got a caller over there with UConn, Ari McDonald, obviously, with Arizona, for example. Um, got to talk about Stanford, obviously. One of the bigger things that we saw from them, all of these teams in terms of making runs, was like excellent guard play, right? And, I mean, Maryland is going to be walking in with arguably, you know, three or four of the top, dare I say, 25 to 30 you know, guards in the entire, you know, nation. I think the coming in, I think from a power ranking standpoint, you could arguably put them up there as a core up there with a lot of the other teams that are probably going to be going into next year. Don't at me on that. We'll probably have to do a little bit more of a statistical deep dive on that some other time. But in terms of the talent being there, they're bringing a lot of good guard play back. Do you see that being something that is going to be huge for them next year in terms of leaning on them? Or do you think, because there's a lot of young talent that's going to be manning that position, obviously. Obviously, they'll be a year older in terms of their uh, experience. But do you think that the three guards, Wusu, Miller, um, Collins to a lesser degree, do you think that that's where they're going to lean the most? Or do you think... Angel Reese, the one who is really going to be the sneaky pool, is really the difference between this team being another Sweet 16 exit or a national champion. Because I think the guard play ver- the guard play for those three versus Angel Reese, I think there's a certain thing to be had there. So what got them caught up against Texas was the fact that they got slowed down those last four or five minutes, right? You know, Charlie Collier, she ended up taking over. She delivered in that win. Maryland was up by double digits going into the into the into the third quarter or the fourth quarter. I'm sorry, excuse me. And then they just ended up just going away from what what worked for them. And you know, they're a hundred point game, hundred point a game uh, team. They only scored what was it, 60, 62, 63 points. You know what I mean? I think they're locked down for guards. Ashley Abusu is definitely going to be a pro. She's going to be a great pro. Diamond Miller. She's going up there. She's got some great uh, potential. I think the main thing for her is just trying to slow down a little bit because she can play really fast sometimes, but she's a bucket. She's going to get you wins. She's going she's gonna to play really hard for you. I think what matters the most is being able to count on Mamie Collins and Angel Reese. When you have someone down low that you can throw the ball down to a little bit and she can play in the post, 
so you can go into that that free throw line extended and get you some buckets. That's what's gonna uh, help you a whole lot, and that's what Charlie was able to do a little bit. So being able to play fast, but then being able to slow down, match whatever's going down in the in the block, that helps a whole lot. And Angel Reese, I've seen her play in person one time, and I, my dad, that was my dad just now, uh, just came to the room. Um, yeah, uh, what was I saying? Angel Reese, yeah, she's gonna be able to just help, you know, help that team slow down. She's gonna be able to, what she's doing. she gets what she wants to do. Like seeing her play in person one time, she's a physical force, dude, lefty. She is funny, man, because it seems like it's like almost like watching a gazelle play basketball, as in just like, <laughs> trying to find out that that grace and athleticism. But she's got it, man. She's gonna be help. She's gonna be able to help get that team to a win, especially in the NCAA tournament. Go beyond the Swiss team because, like Ian says, man, they got the juice. It's trying to figure out how to turn that into sauce right now. So Ryan, I don't want it to get misconceived when I obviously say you know that like the the three guards that they have. I say that more so because of like Mimi Collins' play style, <laughs> ironically enough, because Angel Reese is the one that's a tweener in terms of the the guard forward, you know, lineup. She's going to be more of a three for them, but Mimi Collins just plays um, so much like a guard that that's what makes it extremely interesting. Obviously, the the backcourt at hand is a Wusu and Miller. How far? can those two take a team in terms of their offensive production? Because obviously these were the two that led the charge last season. Um, they came up pretty big defensively as well in terms of being uh, two of the top players on their teams in re- regards to steals. These are the two top scorers, 18.7 points for Awusu, 17.5 points for Miller. I mean, they had six players in double figures with those two carrying the torch. Do you think that that's duplicable? Or, again, with players like Reese coming back, um, Ian mentioned earlier Faith as a player who got a clip on her, and I was actually watching a little bit of that the other day, definitely can stroke it from beyond the arc. Do you think that they can carry things uh, again in a duplicable fashion, or do you think it's going to take players like Faith and Angel Reese to really be able to make sure that this team is within the same striking distance that they were this year? Um, much, like, much like I mentioned earlier, I think when they get Angel Reese healthy, I think that's a huge, a huge win for this team, considering how great of a player she is. But I do think it's going to have to take more than Diamond Miller and Ashley Wusu to take this team to the national championship. I think when you, when you look at a lot of the teams that make the national championship, they have at least three great players on their team. That's the case with Maryland. I feel like they have more than three great players on their team. I think um, Ian mentioned Faith Masonius. That's a player that I need to keep my eyes out on because this, she can shoot, she can shoot and she will be a bucket getter. I think next season. But it's going to have to rely more on who's going to step up. I think, obviously, you know, six double-digit scores, it's very impressive for this Maryland team. But is it going to beat UConn? Is it going to beat South Carolina? Is it going to beat Arizona? Is it going to beat Stanford? Those are the questions I have going into next season. But the talent's there. But just to reiterate what Ian said, they just need the sauce. So I think before we move on from women's uh, college basketball in terms of the Lady Terps, I think the last thing I kind of want to put on there is just like, or put out there in the street, is kind of just you guys' overall projections 
for next season. Ryan, I'm going to pretty much bring it back to you. Elite Eight, do we have them as champions? All homerism aside, we see what they're bringing back. We see what they potentially could be upgrading at positions in terms of, you know, getting certain players healthy. Is this a team that is a legit national championship contender, or do you feel like they they there's a certain area they might fall short? Where are we projecting them if we had to make a very, very early call? Where do you think their season may end next year? So this is factoring in that they get all of their players back. Um, Chloe, Chloe Bibby comes back. Faith Masonius takes that next step. Angel Reese is healthy. This is a Final Four team. Undoubtedly, this is a Final Four team. National Championship team is the biggest question because of, like I mentioned earlier, UConn, um, along with Paige Beckers, um, Stanford, are they going to run it back as well with Kiana Williams and Lexi Hall? Is Ari McDonald going to declare? I think she's a senior this year, so I mean that that would make sense that she that, uh, she declares. She, but she declared. She declared. She declared. Okay. Okay. So, is Arizona going to run it back too? That's the other question. So, there's a lot of questions in terms of a national championship run. But I'm talking if we're talking about the Final Four, this team is a lock for the Final Four. Ian, where how you feel about them, bro? It's tough to say lock. I mean, I I, I like to pick do I do like to pick Ryan. It's just, it's tough when you go to March Madness and you see, like I said before, you see what Maryland has done the regular season, and then I wouldn't say stink it up, but like go to the Sweet Sixteen and then find a way to play down, either play down to another team's pace or find a way to just start shooting bricks, which doesn't make sense to me. Granted, they made it close with Texas. But it's to a point where, like, you got to get past that hump. I would say Elite Eight right now. Um, I wouldn't say Final Four lock, but I, I would see that happen. I can see that happening. Um, also, I mean, I think it's I think it's clear enough to say I think they'll win the Big Ten again. I mean, I know Indiana was ranked. I know Ohio State and Rutgers were ranked in the women's, um, you know, top 25. But when it comes to it, I just think Maryland's just the best team in the Big Ten, just bar none. But when it comes to March Madness, I would say that, you know, I, I could see them getting to Elite Eight. I, actually, no, I think I would say an Elite Eight is a lock. I could see them going to the Final Four. So, Brooks, it seems like the Elite Eight is the number. Obviously, that's not the goal, but that sounds like at least a step up from where we've been. Do you feel similar? Do you feel like this team is better, worse than that? Um, what are your overall projections for this uh, this upcoming season if you had to make a way too early guess? I mean, I'm, I'll take it. I'll make it three for four, man. I think uh, they are an elite eight team. I think the the main factor is again, will Maryland take the lessons of losing to Texas, and say, you know what, we don't we're, we're hungry, we don't want to lose again, we don't want to play down our competition. There's no reason why we didn't make the final four this year, you know, like Texas shouldn't have beat them. Charlie Collier, she's a great player. She's gonna be a good pro but there's no reason why she should have been able to take over. And you have Ashley Owusu, you have Diamond Miller, you got Mimi Collins, you got Coley Bibby on that team. Like everybody's got to do, everybody's got to be hungry this year, tag the weight room, tag development and be prepared to play angry and win the championship. But the elite eight, I say is the ceiling. I hope I'm wrong though, because I would love to see Maryland win the championship. Yeah, I think that. And, and, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just, I just want to say one more thing. When it comes to talent and actually coaching talent, Brenda Freeze is no Mark Turgeon. I'll say that right now. And we're, we're about to talk about him right now. But, mm-hmm. yeah, 
Brendan Freeze is no Marturgeon when it comes to coaching talent. I think that's the biggest thing too, right, is the fact that the coaching is there, the talent is there, the class has been there um, year in and year out. I think the biggest thing with them right now is just developmental um, obstruction. I think it's one of those things now where you just have to look at them. There's a structure there. Um, It's just seeing how these players develop because, you know, we've seen them be consistent but not necessarily improve, right? So the thing is they're good at being good. We need them to get good at being great. And that's one of the next steps that obviously is required. If you want to be a final four slash championship caliber team, and they have all the pieces to be able to do that. That puts us in a very interesting segue though, obviously um, in terms of talking about Maryland basketball, because when we flip to the men's side, this is the part where uh, ears get pinned back, foreheads start getting extra red, elbows start getting extra ashy. It's one of them things where when you talk about men's Maryland basketball, it's a lot of feelings involved. And um, it's a toughie because just a season ago, I think we all could say that there was at least a certain a certain level of optimism there. This was a team that from uh, Maryland men's basketball had finished first overall in the Big Ten, something that just pretty uncommon to us considering some of the other uh teams in the conferences, the Michigans, the Michigan States of the world. Obviously, Illinois came on big this year, Iowa, teams of that nature. But we have to look at the season right in front of us. Uh, for anybody who did not watch Maryland basketball, I'm going to clarify it for the, guy, for the guys. Obviously, I, I'm only reiterating stuff you guys are well aware of. But 17 and 14 overall um, in on the season, 9 and 11 in conference play, which – had them finish eighth overall in the conference. Um, their only real big win um, of the season and probably their best win, obviously, was the one in the NCAA tournament against projected NBA lottery pick James Booknight and UConn in the opening round. But they got literally took and kidnapped in the round of 32 against Alabama, who was a team that, me and Ryan had potentially in the final four. So it's not like they got taken out by some poor team that they weren't supposed to, or, you know, a team that was, that would have been viewed as more so of an upset. Um, where do I want to start? Ryan, I want your energy right now. Cause you, you were talking a lot pre-pod about Turgeon, but I want to focus more specifically on the team before we get to Turgeon. How did you feel? Um, what did, what was your takeaways from this season with everything that you that you saw i was actually kind of shocked that they beat yukon but there was something interesting that ian pointed out off camera yukon had one legitimate star and that was james book Knight. the rest of the team has been kind of questionable during the season now rj cole was a guy that stepped up for them tyrese martin has been a guy that stepped up for them late in the season so they had extra scoring options but Maryland, as a defensive team, was able to shut down James Booknight. I thought that was a huge, huge win for them. In terms of Alabama, I did not expect them to win against Alabama. I thought there were too many offensive assets on this Alabama team that Maryland's defense could not shut down. I think it was the case with Baylor and Houston because I feel like I felt like Baylor had a lot of offensive options and being that Houston was one of the best scoring defenses in the country, they were not able to shut down Davion Mitchell, Masio Teague, Matt Meyer, 
Jared Butler, who also had a great game. In terms of the overall season, it just furthers the narrative that Maryland is the most inconsistently consistent basketball team in the NCAA. Who are they beat this year in terms of some of their biggest upsets? They beat Wisconsin and Illinois. Two great upsets because they were in the top 10 at the time. This, <laughs> why does this team always have to lose late in the season to teams that they shouldn't be losing to, like Penn State and Northwestern? Anyone want to answer me that question? Because as a Maryland fan, here I sit again wondering why we lose late in the season to teams like Northwestern and Penn State. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of where I want to segue to that a little bit. And I hate to I hate to take Ryan's question and put you in the position to have to sort of answer it. But nonetheless, I mean, it is one of those things that I mean, it really got to me and Ryan the last time that we had this conversation with Brooks about their consistent inconsistencies. And now that we have a full fledged understanding of it, I mean, we can just put it within the perspective of this, these five game stretch. You beat number six, Wisconsin at the time on December 28th. Three days later, you lose to number 16 ranked Michigan at the time. You follow it up with two losses back to back to Indiana and Iowa. But you follow up that matchup three days later against Illinois and you win 66 to 63. You have a very interesting stretch where you beat a team like Minnesota, you beat a team like Purdue, but you drop one to Penn State and follow that up losing to Ohio State. They might have got us as Maryland friends a little bit too big for our britches when we saw another win over Minnesota, two back-to-back wins over Nebraska, a win over Rutgers and Michigan State. But like Ryan eloquently pointed out, you lose to Penn State and Northwestern on the back nine of your season when you know that you're fighting for seeding in the NCAA tournament. So is it that that makes Maryland so frustrating? Is it the, is it the, the fact that you see that the talent is there to beat a high level team, but they don't do it on a consistent basis? Is it, is it individual players that more so kind of turned you off for this season? Do you feel like they're, I mean, we'll probably get into this a little bit deeper, but do you think that it's strictly a coaching schematic issue? What, what do you feel like is the go wrong for Maryland? If you said X is the reason Maryland can't get the ish straight, what do you think is that reason? Is, it, is this me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost said a prayer before the podcast because Lord, I need help with the men's basketball <laughs> team in this regard. Um, I, I will say it's two things. And one, we talked about like uh, off camera in our, in our group chat. And when you put that stat up, I already knew it. This team can't shoot threes, man. A lot of good teams look at, oh my goodness, look at Baylor <laughs> in the championship game. I also, I want to say this joke because uh, it was funny. Um, this, someone said Gonzaga looked like they haven't played a hood AU team until the championship game. And that's very right. I literally just brought that up on the episode we recorded right before this. That is hilarious. It was, I think it was Brendan Haywood, former Dallas. It was literally on the last episode that we just said that. (laughs) Yeah. They they are not wrong. Anyway, back to Maryland now. This team can't shoot threes. I want to say they were what? 
84th or something in three-point percentage, that's awful, especially as a Big Ten team, like you said, beat Minnesota when they were ranked, beat Purdue when they were ranked, um, kept it close with some teams at halftime before, you know, they took over like Michigan, you know, and, and all of that. Beat, like you said, beat Wisconsin when they were the number 16, but they're shooting in terms of collegiate leaderboards, 84, 84th and three-point percentage. I also looked up before the podcast, if, if y'all were to guess, you know, just keep a number in your head. If y'all were to guess Maryland's efficiency and how they rank in D1, where would you think? Probably like what, top 60, 70, 80, right? Big 10 team, right? No, they're 104th. Uh-huh. What is that? <laughs> I knew, my thing was, I knew they were going to be UConn. I did. And every single one of my brackets, I had Maryland over UConn. Why? Because I think, like I said on the podcast, you shut down James Benight. RJ Cole, granted, had, had a good year from time to time when he was injured. But like, when you think about it, UConn had to literally kind of, you know, have Benight on his shoulders in order to win some of these games. Um, but no, we were not beating Alabama. The biggest thing with Maryland is the offensive efficiency. The biggest thing with it, whether it be from three, honestly, whether it even be from second chance buckets. Defensively, we know Maryland's solid. That's why you can beat teams, like, like we said, like Wisconsin, like Purdue. We've said this before. Even in the Big Ten tournament when we were up on Michigan in the first half, we knew, granted, I know that Juwan Howard and, you know, Mark Turgeon had their little scuffle, not scuffle or, you know, argument, whatever. But that shouldn't be the reason why Maryland just starts losing the lead. They were up like nine at the half. My thing is offensive efficiency. You look at the best teams in the nation. You look at Gonzaga, even though they didn't look like Gonzaga in the national championship. You look like you look at Baylor, even UCLA, who made it from the first four to the final four, still had offensive and defensive efficiency because they decided to pick it up. You look at Michigan, same thing. There's a balance there, and Maryland does not have that balance on the offensive side. Defensively, they find ways to. I mean, Maryland's a very aggressive team. If you look at them defensively, right? They didn't, they don't, it doesn't correlate to the offensive side. And that's my biggest problem because, and we'll talk about it later, there's so many good guys who are offensively gifted in the DMV that Turgeon won't go after. And it really, that's, you know, let me just end it there with my, just, just all I'm saying is offensive efficiency is key. And clearly, um, Brenda Fries has figured it out, the balance, and Mark Turgeon hasn't. And all I'm saying is recruiting. That's it. So, I mean, Brooks, man, you guys are giving the alley-oops away. This is crazy. Honestly, it's one of those things where I think it's perfect to be able to pick it up right there because you talk about recruiting. That's obviously personnel. And I do wonder if there is a personnel problem. Ryan has religiously harped on the lack of three-point shooting for this Maryland team overall. Ayala, 33.7% from three. Aaron Wiggins, 35.6% from three. Um, I mean... Dante Scott is probably their best three-point shooter, 43.8%, but he's not taking a lot of them. Um, I mean, we're in a position where if you keep going down the list, it gets ugly. Daryl Marcel is a guy who might not be on this team going into next season. He's put his name in the transfer portal, so there's that. But, I mean, the dude shot 25.5% from three, and it really only gets uglier from that point. But those are their lead guys in terms of guys who are going to actually take those three-point shots. Do you think the issue is that where that 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 guys like Turgeon, recruiters in general for Maryland are not targeting um, not only position of need but skill sets of need, or do you feel like it's just simply the personnel on the floor is not playing up to their potential? Because I think I think some of these guys, I think Wiggins and Ayala specifically, 
I think they can play up to the challenge, but I I I, I don't know how thirty five percent and under gets you anywhere. Not only in the NCAA tournament, but tournament, but shoot, even just in the Big Ten. So, like, where do you feel about their? Per- how do you feel about their personnel, though? So, for the what? Let's say that like the last three seasons, maybe four. Mm-hmm. The main issue has been one shooting mm-hmm. and two turnovers. We can't we can't protect the ball, mm-hmm. right? Now, Anthony Cowan and Mark Tristan's best job was probably with Anthony Cowan probably bar none like maybe him maybe you can say Jalen Smith you know he goes from this uh fringe NBA prospect to actually being like a, a surprise lottery pick maybe those two are his best job but then you go back to like I'm not I'm, I'm not even gonna go I don't want to go in the past about this because it's it's good it's gonna be a long we podcast if we, we will see but um as far as yeah, they, they definitely need to do better as far as recruiting better skill sets because the talent's going to be there. But you need to have point guards that can handle the ball and protect the ball as well, you know? Eric Alaya, is, he's, a, he's a dog. Like, don't get me wrong, man. That guy is going to give you his all every game, every practice. That's why he was able to, you know, lead him against UConn. He actually took that – it sounds like he took that game really, really personally. You know, like, he was a dog against him. He was amazing. I love his performance. But then throughout the whole year, the issue was the fact that, yeah, they're going to be a blue-collar team. They can't take care of the ball, and they can't shoot threes. How do you how do you amend that? Like, Icar Nesh might be a good shooter. Marcus Dockery is supposed to be a good shooter, but then he, bar- he barely got any burn on a team that needed some shooters. They had another freshman in there that didn't get any burn. You know, Darren Marcel, he's going to be a great defender. He, he has a solid IQ. But as far as offense goes, he's, he's non-existent. You know, you you need to. I'm 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 always gonna lay it on the coaching, because that's been the, the consistent issue. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna insult Scott Brooks by saying that Mark Turgeon is a Scott Brooks of NCAA, but he's I mean, like you can. But- you, I I could, but I'm not gonna do it because I'm not gonna insult Scott Brooks like that. Because at least Scott Brooks has actual like decent talent. You know what I mean? But yeah, again, man, like you even go back to the transfer portal, right? They got Fats Russell to come in. And, Chris, and they were calling Chris Likes like every day, uh, allegedly, in order to get him. And then they end up going to Fat Ru- or Fat Russell decided to go to Maryland. I feel like Chris Likes, yeah, hard over height, the dude can can hoop. He's not going to be a great shooter, but he's definitely going to be a good point guard upgrade. So I don't know, man. I'm the easy go to for me is just Mark Turgeon is is the he's he's the main factor here. So I'm I'm just going to blame it on him because there's just no reason why Trevor Kells should have Duke, Villanova, and Kentucky in his final three, but not have UVA or no UV. Yeah, yeah, and UVA was in the top four, so I'm okay with UVA being in the top four because that's a that's a DMV team. But Maryland should be in there regardless. Every Maryland guard, every Maryland big, every Maryland wing should be having Maryland in their top five. Go after, go hard after these guys because there's no reason why they continue to leave the area. Unless they actually just want to leave, but like for the guys that want to go to this game to this school, make sure they feel wanted and that they're gonna to want to go to this school because, yeah, again we have the DMV, like per capita most D one talent and there's no reason why Maryland guys don't stay in Maryland. You can go to Towson, you can go to GMU, GW, uh, UVA, whatever. Stay in the area if you can. 
So, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway from all of this is just the mere fact that this team is just not built ready to go on a Final Four run. You know what I mean? It just sounds like that's the biggest takeaway from you guys right now, not only just from a coaching standpoint, but just the, the talent on the floor. It just seems like there's a lot missing. And it's really interesting because we, you know, me and Ryan were talking about this earlier. Like they might have a lot of like D1 talent, but they don't like have a lot of NBA projected talent, which is something that the Big Ten is kind of known for. If you kind of go down the list, the list is very short. Um, Ryan, if I'm not mistaken, we had uh, Kevin Herter. We had uh, Chris Lehman, I believe. Yeah. And then I can, most recently, Bruno Fernando exactly, and Jalen Smith. So, I mean, kind of tough in terms of what the layout of, of the land is in terms of producing pro talent for from this team. But I think that kind of goes into my next question because it goes to what I was talking about, about with, in terms of Maryland women's basketball, the men's team in terms of the hype it's probably worse <laughs> in terms of overall projection. I think in terms of men's Maryland Terrapins basketball, we have all been subjected to a level of fandom that I never, ever in a million years thought I would want to be associated with, and that is Dallas Cowboys X fandom. Um, it's to the level that we set a bar extremely high, um, expectations very high, and we do this thing. Um, a lot of Maryland fans will know what I'm talking about the minute I say it. You guys will probably snicker the minute I get into it. Is we stick our chest out and we say if a lot. A lot. If this, if that, maybe this. We need all the cards to kind of fall correctly into place. The perfect scenario, if you will, for Maryland men's basketball to thrive so i was looking at some way too early ap top 25 polls and um the hype is real again <laughs> I, know, I know exactly where you're going with this the hype is real again um i'm gonna go through four websites and kind of just read out where they have them i'm also going to kind of give a little bit of context of where some of this energy is coming from um, but, um, watchstadium.com has Maryland as high as number five in the country. ESPN.com has them at number six in the country. NCAA.com has them at number eight in the country. And the athletic has them the lowest, but still in the, in the top 15 at number 11. Now, the thing about this, right, is. They have a lot of talent coming in, which is the part that I think is maybe the needle mover in some of this. They have Cutis Wahab coming from Georgetown. He averaged 12.7 points per game, 8.2 rebounds, big man, 6'11", out of Nigeria. Had a really good season for them. Um, Brooks has already mentioned Fats Russell from Rhode Island. Um, Ian, you probably have a lot more familiarity with him up close and personal being a Dayton guy, but this is a guy who had a little bit of a low year compared to his junior year, dropped down from 18.8 points per game to 14.7. I mean, he upped it in the, re in the rebounds department, just kept things about consistent in the assist department, 4.5, but dropped in free throw percentage. We need three-point shooting, and he shot down all the way from 35.7% from three down to 23.5% um, from three. 
Um, we've also got some interesting recruiting going in. You want to talk about guys out your back door. We got Julian Reese uh, straight from St. Francis Academy down the way. This is a guy, very athletic individual, uh, average 10.6 points per game, 6.7 rebounds. The 3.5 blocks is the thing that is extremely glaring. Dude is a defensive force inside as a big lanky dude who loves to run the floor and runs it very well as a guy who's going to be able to have his hands really active defensively, but offensively as well. Then we got Ike Cornish. He's a guy who's played in South Carolina for a little while, but it's still a Baltimore, Maryland guy at the end of the day and picked Maryland as his location in terms of wanting to play at the next level being at the college ranks. 12.2 points per game, 3.2 rebounds per game. Not really a shooter very much, but he does a lot of pump fake things that get him a lot of space. He creates his own shot a lot well, a lot better than most entering the college ranks at his age. There's a lot of promise. There's a lot more Maryland guys, something that has been harped a lot on this podcast so far in terms of homegrown products. You factor in Aaron Wiggins, Eric, uh, Eric Ayala coming back. I saw a lot of you guys' faces when I read off the the, the uh, projections. Um, man, Ryan, is the hype unnecessary? Do you have them not even in the AP top twenty five? Where do you stand on this type of hype train that's being driven by national media in terms of their view on Maryland, not only in their in terms of their recruiting class, their transfer portal, and the guys that they're returning? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge the credibility of the people that put together these lists. But when I heard ESPN had Maryland in the top 10, I'm very, very questionable now about how overhyped this team is how unnecessary the hype is but brooks mentioned something interesting marcus dockery barely got any playing time with maryland this year and he was one of the best shooting prospects that we have recruited i hope he gets a chance to play next year because i think if he is able to play i think his effect on the team will be massive I think losing Chris Likes is huge, though. Losing out on Chris Likes is its a blow to the Maryland program because this is a guy who was born in Maryland, transferring from Miami, goes to Arkansas. This is a guy that could have absolutely boosted up our offensive efficiency considering he's one of the he was one of the best guards in the transfer portal. But I want to read out a couple of names here. Marcus Carr, Liam Robbins, Walker Kessler, Adam Miller, Xavier Johnson. What do they all have in common? They're all in the transfer portal right now. I think this is Maryland's chance to get one of those guys. I also think Earl Timberlake as well. I think Brooks is going to touch on it a little bit later, but Earl Timberlake, another guy from Maryland who could help out this team, but it's going to come down to recruiting. And if he doesn't recruit, if Turgeon does not recruit, there's no one else to blame but him for the success and failure of the Maryland program. Ian, I think that's kind of interesting because it sounds like where Ryan's coming from, and Ryan, you can you can stop me if I'm misquoting you in any way. 
possible. But it sounds like Ryan feels as though Maryland is not done in terms of needing to acquire further talent. Um, they're a team that still is a piece or two away, even with what they've already acquired in the transfer. I, I think they need more than a piece, though. They need multiple guys. See, and that's kind of laying it on thick in terms of obviously, you know, roster spots, scholarship availability, all of those things come to mind at the top of the list. This isn't like trying to create a 2K team. So things do get kind of complicated in the weeds. But there's a lot of people who feel as though Maryland might have done the best job so far in terms of what they've done offseason acquisition wise. I'm going to read something from the athletic and I kind of want you to just respond to it is. No team outside of Kentucky has benefited more from the transfer portal. Russell, who came from Rhode Island, and Wahab, who is transferring from Georgetown, will bolster a roster that already includes four returning starters from an NCAA tournament team. Both incoming freshmen are rated in the in the top 100 nationally by 247 Sports, and Graham got a head start on his freshman season by enrolling in January. With that being the case, right, they're in a situation right now where People believe that they are at the forefront because of what they've done through the transfer portal with the two guys they acquired. So I guess my question to you would be, do you feel like those two guys really answered any questions that required some some thought to it? Because it's Maryland team, according to everybody on the pod, seems to have a lot of holes. Do these two guys tackle any of those questions? Uh, yes and no. Um, I understand Wahab coming in. Also, I think I think Turgeon signing or, or getting him from the transfer portal was huge. I think it makes Maryland a taller team and a more defense. Granted, we didn't need it, but it helps defensively more imposing team. I don't know what he's going to do with uh, Chol Mario uh, from South Sudan. He's, a, I think, a freshman, I want to say, or either freshman or sophomore. He's seven two from South Sudan. You can do something with him. There's no reason he should be on the bench for nothing. Anyway, you brought, you put him and coming off the bench for Wahab or whatever. I think that rotation is great in the center position. Um, you did mention it, Jalen. That uh, again, I go to University of Dayton. For those who didn't know, I've seen Fats Russell for majority of my years here. Um, he has been a very inconsistent player in regards to how he started and how he finished this past year. He went from a guy that was shooting almost 35% from three to, to now, I think, 23% from three. And for a team that needs shooting, that doesn't help. All I'm saying is I don't know if he needs the confidence. I don't know if it's that he needs um, – what, what is it? Um, what, what, oh, better players? Because right. Rhode Island compared to Maryland doesn't have – in terms of caliber player-wise, not even comparable. Um, I, I'm going to say this. Fats Russell, as I've watched him, he can get to his own shot. He's pretty solid around the rim. Also, for those of you who don't know, he's shorter than me. He's 5'10". I'm six, but he's 5'10". So the fact that he can actually get to his get to the cup is pretty solid. But when it comes down to everything else, it's just like, I don't think you really answer all those questions. I will say this about, uh, I want to say, was it Juju Reese? Was, was it the guy? Yeah. I've seen his tape. I Andrew like Reese's little brother, too. Yeah. I do want to say this with him. Incredible athletic. I think he answers some um, answers in regards to athleticism and finishing at the rim, which some, sometimes we did need. And when you look at the past string of games with Maryland, we needed that. I love uh, Dante Scott, but good Lord. Anyway, um, But no, but I, I like him. I think he's incredible footwork around the rim. I think he 
uh, can find a way to get to his spots and honestly, like a physically imposing guy in high school game. But when my only question with him is, can he stretch the four? That's all it is. But um, we'll see what happens. I don't think it answers every question, but it answers some. So Brooks, that's, that's kind of funny that he says that. And the reason why I asked it is because to some, they feel opposite. And again, I'm going to kind of read something else from somewhere else. This time it's ESPN. We have to remember the athletic was the one that was a little bit more realistic. They put them at 11. This is one of those sites. ESPN had them at number six, a bit, a smidge higher or a lot higher, depending on how you might feel about the circumstances. Right. ESPN went as far as saying Russell and Wahab should answer two of the bigger questions, um, question marks that the, the Terps have point guard play and consistent interior presence. One of the things that Ian had mentioned beforehand, obviously taking in consideration consideration that Daryl Marcel will not be coming back, but Eric Ayala and Wiggins and Donta Scott are all going to be returning. Another player that was highlighted in this piece was that Hakeem Hart is a guy who played significant minutes for them, started 10 games for them and showed off a couple of things the quote uh, specifically that I want you to respond to is there's plenty of talent on this roster and Turgeon did an impressive job with the Terps this past season, guiding them to the NCAA tournament despite preseason expectations. Now, the reason why the reason why I want you to respond to this specifically is because we're coming off a season that regardless of the COVID pause, I thought the expectations were significantly high, not just because we're Maryland fans and we just do that, but because this was the, the best team in the Big Ten the year prior. So I'm so I would assume that actually, yes, I understand that there were some certain things that kind of hit this team in terms of what they may have lost down the line. Um, we have to take into consideration that Anthony Cowan transferred. Jalen Smith went into the NBA, but nonetheless, this was a team that was number one in what was the best conference in basketball this season. They were number one just a season ago. So one, do you feel like they like played above preseason expectations? Number one. And then number two, do they have plenty of talent on this roster and believe that Turgeon did an impressive job? getting them to the NCAA tournament? As far as preseason expectations go, like, and maybe I'm differing from you guys as far as preseason expectations. I saw the the subtraction of, of Anthony Cowan graduating, and I don't, I don't even know if he's playing professionally right now, but him him leaving and Jalen Smith leaving, I feel like that was going to be the two biggest losses in college basketball in general. Um, as Jalen Smith, the NBA talent, Anthony Cowan, overseas talent for sure. I feel like they were gonna. T- I, f- I thought they were gonna take a significant step back, and in some ways they did. Like I feel like this is Mark Turgeon's best job as an overachiever, as far as actually being able to get this team to play really solid defense. They knew who to go to in Eric Alaya Ayala as as like their closer and as their their go to guy. But again, like yeah, this this was just a really good overachieving team because otherwise. They, they could have been like a Duke team and just like declined an NIT invitation. And I would have been perfectly okay with that, especially if, and I hate to say this because I don't like, I don't like men losing their jobs, but like if, if Mark Turgeon lost his job because this is an NIT quality team, I'd have been okay with that because again, I'm, I'm sick of the dude. I'm ready for him to go um, to complete, to, to keep it completely honest. As far as 
ESPN, 24-7 Sports, whoever, make it put in them within the top 10. I want to remind you guys of 2015-2016. Mark Turgeon <sighs> had Melo Tremble, Rashid Suleiman. Diamond Stone, too. Diamond Stone and Robert Carter Jr. And they, that team underachieved, like, a, a good bit. This is supposed to be a Final Four team. They ended up losing to Kansas in the Sweet 16. And the main reason why they didn't lose, or they why the main reason why they didn't win it all is because they didn't really have a leader in them. And that's supposed to be Melo. Melo didn't meet the task. But when you have, like, high, high talent, Mark Turgeon has a record right now of not being able to coach him up. And, again, I'm going to say it. Mark Turgeon might be the Scott Brooks of college basketball, man, because he, he just can't coach up this talent, man, like, honestly. And it's, it's disappointing, man, because I don't – I want Maryland to do well. You know what I mean? I'm, you said you said Scott Brooks? Yeah. Free Brad, contain. <sighs> I set myself up for that one, didn't I? Um, definitely did. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely did, didn't I? But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to believe in the guy. But top 10 is, is very high. I would have been comfortable with 15, to be honest with you. Again, Ian, Ian says that Fats Russell is 5'10". I would have been if, – if they had Ty Ty Washington or Marcus Carr, I would have been like, wow. Now this team is definitely a threat, especially if Mark Turgeon can coach him up. But you had a 5'10 guy in the backcourt. I can't say his name right. Ayala? Ayala, how do you say it? Ayala, you were right. Ayala. He's 6'5". That's like a big disparity. And I don't even know how Fat Russell's Fats Russell even plays defense. So you're giving up a good amount of length and size in the backcourt. So we're gonna have to see what happens. I like uh the cutest Wehab um addition though. I mean, that guy is he play, he's all a six eleven and he's like really figuring out his body right now. He can play big, can get you those those uh those dumping buckets and all that. But I was definitely surprised for him to actually even leave Georgetown because again. That's a school that traditionally does really well with big men. Um, I'm just I'm hurt for Patrick Ewing, man, because for him to do that coaching job was amazing, and to lose your best best big man hurts a whole lot. So hopefully he can hit the portal and recruiting hard and, and get a, a, an equitable talent there. Yeah, for that team that uh, Brooks was referring to, 2015-2016, um, that team finished third in the Big Ten overall, finished the season 18th in the final AP poll. So even for a team as talented as that one, that was very high regarded, highly regarded, had two NBA players on it, so to speak, in terms of Diamond Stone and Jake Lehman, who both made it to that level, throwing uh, Melo Trimble, who was a sophomore at the time during that season as well. I think even, I think Robert Carter was even, was even a pro level guy at that point too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, across the board, they were, extremely talented some would probably argue a bit more talented than the team that Turgeon has right now but nonetheless a team that had extremely high expectations and I mean they still finished outside the top 15 let alone some of the projections that they have again you guys are doing an excellent job with helping me with these alley-oops though because I have to be honest the next place that we obviously have to go is Turgeon's job security so Mark Turgeon is 221 and 113 in his career at Maryland and was Big Ten Coach of the Year his first year at Maryland. But, very big but, is over the last five years, he has not been able to get out of the round of 32. Somebody on this podcast in particular has made it very clear that it was Final Four or bust this season. 
when taking into consideration things like the fact that the Terps were 24 and 7, 14 and 6 overall in the conference just a season ago before the COVID cancellation, the fact that they did lose a guy who was an NBA level player in Jalen Smith to the draft, the fact that they did lose Anthony Cowan to the transfer portal, he went to Marquette, I believe. They were their two leading scorers from the prior season that both left. Ryan, you're the one who's led this bandwagon probably more than anybody in terms of this podcast, but objectively looking at the circumstances, um, should there be a real discussion about Mark Turgeon being fired before next season starts? Or when taking into consideration what we saw last season before the COVID pause and what we was able to do somewhat this season, is it worth giving him another shot with this new little bit of this new influx of talent that he may be receiving with the transfer portal portal and some of the commits. I think, I think it's over for Mark Turgeon. A lot of the reasons that you mentioned failure to make it past the round of 32. That's a huge, huge reason behind why I feel like he should not be the Maryland coach anymore. I'm also a Maryland fan and I want to see my team get to the final four. I want to, Revisit those days when we had Juan Dixon, when we had Steve Blake, when we had Gregus Vasquez. I want to revisit those days, and I want to see Maryland be successful. He also can't recruit, and Brooks was the leader of this argument. The fact that he's missed out on so many recruits in the Maryland area, Hunter Dickinson, one of them, just one Big Ten freshman of the year. Now, he can turn it around right now with this transfer portal because I'll throw out four more names. I'll throw out actually five more names that are still available. Namari Burnett, Michael Peavy, Boogie Ellis, Kyler Edwards, Rasir Bolton from Iowa State. He can get one of those five guys to really help their offensive production because that's something that Maryland struggled in. And if, if we're talking about defensively, yes, the, the pickup from Georgetown was huge but they were already a great defensive team. They did not need to improve on that. Obviously, adding depth is great, but what does that mean for Chol Mario? And then now that you you acquire Fats Russell, you get Ike Cornish, who can shoot the three. He has a promising three-point shot. And then you get Juju Reese, another big man. There's still not enough offensive production, and that's the thing that's that's hurting this team. But like I said, I mean, if they get a guy like Rasir Bolton, if they get Kyler Edwards, Ty Ty Washington, Boogie Ellis, I mean, that, that's going to be a huge pickup if they get him. They need to, to strike gold in this transfer portal for me to believe that Mark Turgeon should keep his job. So, Ian, um, taking what Ryan said into consideration, I'm going to read a headline that's not as favorable than um, recently published by the Washington Post that is titled, Maryland's Mark Turgeon is finalizing contract extension. Now, to attachment to that, what it says is the deal is not complete and the terms have not been disclosed by the school. Following that is something that I think is very relatable and the part that I more so want you guys to respond to. I'm actually going to end up circling back to Ryan before I get to Brooks on this one, just because I want to get his initial reaction to that. But I'm going I'm to focus on Ian right now because he, he's getting the motions of it. And unfortunately, I'm not making things any, any better, but I hope this line does a bit. 
after this season, after this season, Turgeon and Maryland reached a crossroads of sorts with two years left on his previous contract and fans split over how they view the coach who now enters his 11th year at the helm. Turgeon's teams at Maryland consistently make the NCAA tournament with above averages, above average finishes in the Big Ten, but they haven't advanced far in the postseason. Schools generally extend a coach's contract or or part ways when only a couple of years remain on a deal. Programs can have a hard time recruiting if there is perceived coaching instability. So, taking that into into contention, taking that into, you know, overall mindset here, right, about our view on him with the guys that we've seen significantly make leaps in terms of the transfer portal, the guys that we've had commit. Hearing the words contract extension, your initial reactions to an idea of that taking place with a guy that has two years left on his contract. The idea is either to part ways with him now or to extend him. When you hear that phrasing, how do you feel? Lord, help me. Simple as that. Lord, help me. Because um, let me put it in perspective. Sure, he has an above 500 record. What is it? I think you said like 221 and 113, right? Mm-hmm. So far, something like that. Um, Sean Miller got fired today. And he has a significantly better record than Mark Turgeon. I'm, I'm talking, I think I looked it up. Uh, hold on, let me get it real quick. Yeah, at Arizona, 302 and 109. Mm-hmm. Way better. And he got fired today. What, 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 what are we missing, Maryland? Sean Miller, granted, he had, you know, some controversy with playing players such as DeAndre Ayton and all that. Granted, Arizona had, had a lot going on. Mark Turgeon didn't do that. But in regards to success, Sean Miller had a way better uh, success rate for the years he's been there than Mark Turgeon has. Granted, we, we knew he had, you know, you know, NBA ready players already out the get go, like uh, DeAndre Ayton, like Mannion, who honestly... I honestly thought should have stayed for a year, but honestly, he's doing okay right now. But that's besides the point. When I hear a contract extension, I'm like, why? We should be extending his hot seat, <laughs> if anything, <laughs> if we're really on it. Sean Miller knows how to recruit. I know if he did it illegally. I know he did it illegally. But he still knows how to recruit. That's why they kept him for so long. He was there. I think they hired him in 2010. And granted, he lasted there for 11 years. I really think, and I hate saying this because I just don't like saying this about coaches and, you know, who have a lot of talent, whether it be in NBA or college or even high school. Murchurgeon got very lucky with the, uh, the talent he has accured throughout his tenure with Maryland so far. We already talked about Ant Count. We already talked about uh, Jalen Smith, Sticks, for those of you who don't know, that's his nickname. Um, we already talked about Ayala. We talked about um, Diamond Stone. Oh my goodness, Mellow Trimble, for those of you who don't know it. I, I mean, I played against him personally, PTSD. Let's not go into that. Anyway, but when I hear contract extension, I'm like, why are we so willing to give people second chances for lucky stretches? I will say this. I, I'm, I'm going to relate it to NBA for a quick second. If Steven Silas got lucky, it wouldn't have mattered because he's already on a hot seat and it's really annoying. 
Same with Nate McMillan when he was in Indiana with the Pacers. He was on a hot seat because he got the Pacers to a, what, a five or six or whatever, and they couldn't get past the first round. And, then, and look what he's doing with the Hawks. Hmm. All I'm going to say is second chances are, are I wouldn't say lucky. Hmm. They're given, they're earned. I don't think Mark Turgeon has earned that. We talked about the recruiting. He's literally gone to different places. I mean, you can, but the TMV is literally one of the basketball meccas besides New York or Jersey, wherever you want to say, of the nation. And he has yet to go further into the DMV in regards to recruiting. I, I understand why, because he did have some good stretches with Maryland with the talent he had. But look at the look at what he did last year, last year, this year and last year. Is that is that worth the extension right now? Granted, there's a lot of hype. We did talk about this. You you mentioned it. Some people have them at five. Some people have seven. At least like 13, 18. I think they're still a top 25 team. But man, I would not be surprised if they started out like 2018 or whatever and dipped right out. I would not be surprised. That's the that's the coach you're giving an extension to. Okay. So, Ryan, real quick, before I get to Brooks, I do want to get your initial reaction to the idea of a contract extension, because I do think that that's one of those things, especially with this being one of your 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 bigger, more consistent takes on the podcast. Um, You hear contract extension for this guy, and it's kind of one of those circumstances where you kind of wonder, especially when you say they typically either give an extension or cut around this time with this amount of time left on his previous contract. It really is move now or you know, forever hold your peace. What is your initial reaction to um, the idea of a contract extension? Brooks, I know you over there chomping at the bit. And trust me, I got a question for you that I hope will help you unleash some of that fury. But Ryan, uh, how do you feel about this, man? I think as time is, is, it's up in Maryland. I never call for coaches jobs, but this is the one where I think we just have to look elsewhere, promote somebody, look on the open market, just find someone that can turn it around for Maryland, because I think somebody needs to come in and have the Gary Williams effect, take the program, turn it around, win a national championship, and then be consistent. I don't know who's going to be that guy. I mean, Sean Miller could be that guy. I don't really know. There are a lot of options right now. They could pull somebody from the NBA, much like uh, Michigan did with Jawan Howard. Granted, Juwan Howard was a Michigan alum. I think the time's the time is now because you gotta be able to have that Gary Williams effect. Mark Turgeon has not had that. You guys are real ones. I was literally about to mention him <laughs> in terms of former coach Gary Williams. Um, Brooks, that's kind of again, that's that's where I wanted, that's where I wanted to go with that, really, because that's the measuring stick, unfortunately. 2002, hop bopping a skip ago since that last real you know chance at a championship team um i'm gonna kind of keep reading through this washington post article and this is what i meant when i said i kind of want to give you a chance to unleash because you get to react to mark turgeon himself a little so i'm gonna read the beginning it says the program continues to drift further from its 2002 national title one in the second of back-to-back final four appearances under Coach Williams. Since then, the program has made it to the Sweet 16 only twice, 2003 and 2016. Kevin Anderson, the school's former athletic director, hired Turgeon and extended his contract in 2016. 
if Maryland had fired Turgeon after this season, the school would have owed him more than $5 million. The Terps will begin the 2021-22 season with pressure to deliver improved results. They were 9-11 and in conference play, as we mentioned way earlier in the podcast, this season and only made the NCAA tournament after the late season turnaround. This was really their last two games, especially considering that that loss to Northwestern was probably one of the ones that really put them on the hot seat. With Turgeon now expected back, the staff should be able to better focus on attracting transfer prospects in the upcoming months, something that they did kind of prioritize with some of the guys that we had mentioned a little bit earlier. Turgeon himself said, I learned a lot about myself. This was after the second round exit in the NCAA tournament. I learned a lot about myself. I think I became a better coach this season because of the things I had to go through. That's how I'm going to remember it. It's a team that I'm going to be really proud of, and it's the building blocks, hopefully, for a better season next year. So your initial reactions to the idea of a contract extension, the idea that these quotes is his way of buying him some more time and your overall takeaway from the thought that he thought this was actually a decent season to build upon. So number one, no Maryland propaganda. There will be no Maryland. There will be no Mark Turgeon positivity from the hoop talk podcast, from hear me out podcast, from the impact podcast. Absolutely nothing good will be said about that man, Mark Turgeon. <laughs> First and foremost. Now, Ryan, you said we need to have a coach that can bring back the Gary Williams energy, bring back that every time Gary Williams comes back, right? What do y'all think about this? What do y'all think about Grievous Vasquez coming back to coach the Maryland basketball team? Mm. What do y'all think about? Because, listen. Bro, don't give me hope, listen, but I like it. Listen, that's a solid one. I like it. Listen, if there is one guy that Gary Williams has ever coached that was most like him, that was most energetic, that was happy, that showed a lot of emotion like Gary Williams did, it was Grievous Vasquez. And he, he, and he, unfortunately, his senior season ended on a buzzer beater against Michigan State, which is now that you're thinking about it, the fact that we're even a part of the Big Ten, that could be a part of his, his, uh, his motivation. I would love Grievous to come back and be part of Maryland, be, be, be leading a college part. Uh, as far as the quotes from Mark Turgeon, can you go one more time for me so I, just so I can have like a live reaction? Yeah, so the overall quotes from him specifically is, I learned a lot about myself. I think I became a better coach this year because of the things I had to go through. That's how I'm going to remember it. It's a team I'm going to be really proud of, and it's the building blocks, hopefully, for a better season next year. Okay, with, the, with that quote, okay, that's that's an interesting quote. And I'll say this, you know what, again, and I said that before, this was a team that overachieved. They they showed their identity as far as like, yeah, you know, I know that I want us to be defensive first. We're going to get out there. We're going to be dogs. Okay, that's a good lesson to learn. But again, we're going to, we've said it over and over again. Where are the results, man? Because again, dude, like you're no friend of freeze when it comes to getting talent to come into the area, getting people to invest in you, developing talent. I know that about you. We know that about you. The fan base knows that about you. The fact that you're getting an extension 
or even in the in the process of getting one is ridiculous to me. You should be on the hottest of hot seats right now. God damn it. I'm so no. This is no reason, bro. It's really no reason. I'm I will be the first one to say right now, Hoop Talk Podcast, write it down. Grievous Vasquez should come back, lead this team. Uh, obviously, he wasn't a pro like Patrick Ewing was, like like Juwan Mor- I mean Juwan Morgan, Juwan Howard was. But the guy's got history with the campus, and everybody loved him. I would love for him to come back. I think he could actually lead this team because, again, dude's got emotion. He's got, he's got a you know ties to the community, and he's he's gonna be able to coach your team like a good point guard did. You know what I mean? Next to Juan Dixon, probably the best point guard that we ever had in, on on College Park, and that's a hard thing for me to say as a big fan of Melo Tremble too. So I would love to see him there. Um, that's my two cents about it, though. No, no, Mark, no, Mark Turgeon, probably Banganda here. He do needs to go. I hate calling for another grown man's job, but that's what I want to see. For people who don't know, Grievous Vasquez, four years at Maryland. It was between the times of 2006 and 2010. The dude was pretty much a monster after his freshman year, averaged at least 17 points per game on a regular basis, was pretty much floating anywhere between five and seven assists a night, really high energy player. Uh, Brooks, he actually did play eight years in the NBA, um, yeah, bounced true. around a little bit. So he was a guy that definitely got some NBA experience um, on a couple of teams. One of the last team he played for was the Hornets, Brooklyn, right? I think. Yep. I think um, I can actually double check that for you right now. Uh, last team was Brooklyn. It was Brooklyn. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, New Orleans, Memphis, Sacramento, Toronto, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn were the teams that he played yeah, for over the course of an eight-year stretch. His career ended off with like a knee injury or something, something crazy. And I mean, this is a guy that played at a relatively okay level as a rotational player. He averaged nine, nine points a game and nearly five assists. Like this is a guy who was a rotational player in the NBA and, Played at a really high level at the point guard position for Maryland for, I mean, the utmost part of three years. After that freshman year, he kind of hit the ground running. So, um, like like he said beforehand, Brooks made it very clear, and I've, I've kind of gotten a better understanding of this, of this oh, as of late, learning more about Maryland basketball. This is a guy that definitely is well-beloved around campus, a guy that definitely kind of brings a bit of the energy that I think is lacking on this team. Um uh, from the coaching ranks specifically, Mark Turgeon is a very by the book guy, it seems, in terms of his demeanor. And he's a guy that I think um, lacks a certain level of fiery passion that Maryland fans are kind of looking for in terms of that seeping through his team. And I think that's one of those things that might be hurting them the most. And think about this, too. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off. Uh-uh, Again, wrong. you mentioned the fact that he was a rotational player, played eight years in the league. Okay, so then that means he knows how to – run play an nba style offense so what does that mean for recruits that means recruits are going to be able to play for an nba point guard that's going to run a pro style offense and get you prepared for the pros why not go to maryland if you're a dmv guy why not stay in the area and play for maryland right you know what i mean and, and the fact that uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go on a, another tangent for you guys but again yeah the guy played for montrose christian so he knows the talent in the area. I believe he played. He probably played for like uh, DC Assault back when Curtis Malone ran the program. So he he knows. He probably have, will have connections with like Premier. Maybe he can get with Keith Stevens at at Takeover. Uh, mess with Team Durant, whatever it may be. Those are the most important ties that you can have locally. You know what I mean? Build a go to coaching staff, and we'll see what happens, man. I would love to see it. 
I'll be yeah. Again, I I'm gonna make the call for it right now. And if I'm right, if I'm right, then I just I just want my kudos later on. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. He was actually a guy I had in my back pocket as a guy that maybe suggests I didn't want to go down a very extensive list of potential coaching candidates if we're all on the fire Mark Turgeon train. But he was definitely somebody that I thought was really interesting. Like I said, I ran into his name a lot researching, you know, Maryland basketball in terms of trying to figure out what might have fit from a culture standpoint. And his name popped up more than I probably expected as a guy who didn't do much on a league standpoint. But in college, the dude was a killer. So um, we pretty much should end the podcast out with a little bit of optimism, nonetheless. Um, I know that's a little hard to kind of channel up after the kind of like destructive tendencies we've all kind of unleashed on this Maryland programs throughout this episode. But um, I think there's a certain thing that we kind of need to touch on more than anything. And I think that it's goal, goal setting. Um, I think that's something about 2020 and 2021 that I've kind of learned a lot more about in terms of development, not only like personally, but like, you know, within, you know, seeing in this case a team grow so ryan i'm gonna start with you bro um to end out the pod what is one small goal that you would like to see maryland reach slash achieve next season is it simply becoming an overall better three-point shooting team would you like to to just see them produce a lot better in conference play whether it's you know, even if they have the same record, it's against better opponents in terms of the win, wins versus losses. Um, would you like to see them improve? Is this an overall offensive team? They were 123rd in offensive rating last season. W- what is like, what is the small thing that you want to see them improve next season that you think will overall help them get further than the round of 32? Take advantage of the transfer portals because this year, I believe it was 1,200 recruits or 1200 players in this transfer portal and most of them are five-star four-star recruits this is the time for maryland to take advantage i mentioned 15 guys 15 different guys on this podcast that maryland could go out and get that are four-star five-star recruits great basketball players they can score something that maryland needs they need scoring they need help maryland has to take advantage of that there's no other way around it Ian, similar standpoint, um, where do you stand in terms of a small goal that you would like to see them achieve next season that you feel like will propel them above the round of 32? I think it's just utilize your roster, find a way to fine tune your recruiting in in the literally the microcosm. You can do it in a year. It's honestly not as hard as people. Granted, it's easier said than done, but I've seen people do it before. I mean, look at UCLA, look at Tiger Campbell, look at Johnny Juzang. You know, look at look at how UCLA has used their recruiting in literally a year or two and has found a way from going to the first four to the final four. You saying Maryland can't do that. I'm not saying we're going to be in the first four. I'm just saying Maryland can't utilize their roster the way UCLA did. All I'm saying is fine tune your recruiting, understand where you need to go, especially as a Big Ten school. Where you need to go, granted, I know we talked about it. Obviously, the DMV has a lot of talent, but there are obviously other options you can go to. I'm saying to start with the DMV first and then branch out. Like, we're not, we're not talking about dudes coming from Wyoming or something. Like, no. Start in DMV and then go outward. It's really not that hard to do. And lastly is 
Um, just just offensive efficiency. I really think it, it could be a goal you can get. Like like I said, there's hype for a reason with Maryland. It's just I'm not ready to believe it yet as a Maryland fan. Mm-hmm. But it's there for a reason. We have guys coming in who could provide some offensive talent. If again, I've seen Fats Russell play. If he can play like he did two years ago, we will be fine in that regard. I would love that backcourt with Ayala and Fats Russell. Honestly, um, mm-hmm. the amount of times Russell has been able to drive and kick is ridiculous. That's besides the point. But I honestly think those are your your short-term goal, short-term goals. Find a way to fine-tune your recruiting to your strengths and your roster, and then up the offensive efficiency to balance the defensive efficiency. I mean, piggybacking off of that a little bit with the UCLA comparison, you have to talk about the fact Johnny Juzang was a McDonald's All-American that went to Kentucky, it didn't work out, made a transfer move, did his thing. In terms of a guy like Hami Hawkes, uh, uh, he's a guy that, Hami Hawkes is a guy who is going to be on an NBA radar next season with some time. Uh, he's probably going to stay at UCLA um, and get some time. That was a UCLA team that played without Chris Smith, arguably their best player in terms of recruiting-wise, last season. And then you take a look at the fact that Dejan Nix was probably one of their higher recruits, and he decommitted in favor of the G League, um, a decision that he might look back on depending on the circumstances, considering what UCLA was able to do this season. So that just goes to tell you that talent can come from anywhere. It can develop out of anywhere. Um, you know, Johnny Juzang played himself from not even being on an NBA big board to being somewhere between somebody's 30 and 50. I mean, that's just interesting all in itself. And I think that this run that they just had might have helped their rec- recruiting class immensely and will make them very dangerous in the Pac-12. Um, just to kind of give that some context. So Brooks ending off with you, of course, same question. What is one small goal that you feel like you would like to see Maryland reach or achieve next season to help them get past the round of 32? This is a team that doesn't finish very well around the rim shoots very poorly from three. There's a lot of different ways that they can improve. Thanks for grievous Vasquez. That's all I got to say. No, I'm just playing. Um, listen, <laughs> <laughs> the main thing for me is I want I want what I want to what I would love to see is Aaron Wiggins and Hakeem Hart, right? Ha- Aaron Wiggins had he sort of had a breakout year, right? You know, he's, he's averaged 14.5 points a game. Um he kind of showed off his skill set a little bit more. But for me, bro, I, I need him to be a little more consistent with just everything in his game, man. Cause sometimes it feels like he was really engaged in games and then sometimes he wasn't. So just need that consistency, need better shooting. He was a 30, he was a, he was a 35 point, he was a 0.35% uh, three-point shooter. So maybe get to that, get that to like 38%. Same with Ayala, same with Hakeem Hart. I'll be happy to see that Hakeem Hart, man, he had what, he had a 30-point game. He had a 30-point game uh, early in the season and he kind of just ducked off from there. Again, Hakeem Hart, man, you're coming into your junior year, need a big breakout from you, bro, because you and, and Aaron Wiggins, you're gonna have the you have the key to that program going forward. So get 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 that going, um, Ayala. Be the leader that you were this past season, man, because this team will go with you. So that's what I want to see. Um, I I can see this team being as good as a Sweet 16 team, but and I no yeah I, I can see the team being the Sweet 16 team if they can get everything right. So yeah, we'll see how to, we'll just have to see what happens. Quick answer, spinning the block back to Brooks, and we'll go back around. Real quick answer. Where do they finish in the Big Ten if you got to make a quick guess? I'll say top three again. I'll say top three finish. Ian? 
I'll go top five. I'll go top five. Ryan? I'm going to say sixth or seventh. I got to go top five. I'll put them around three, four. It's going to be a very indicative of what Illinois looks like with the fact that they got a, guy, a lot of guys leaving uh, between the fact that, you know, Adam Miller's in the transfer, transfer portal. Obviously, I would assume declare for the draft. So I think that'll be one of the bigger things that's knocked down. Iowa's going to be depleted a little bit with the fact that Joe Wieskamp might be going into the draft. Luca Garza is a guy who might even declare for the draft or play overseas. There's some potential right there for them to maybe be able to move themselves up the rankings and be one of the most dangerous teams in the Big Ten. But that's why we have to be – we have to keep our guards up, right, because it's too scary to get too optimistic. So we have to stay at this this little lane right here. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to toss it to you to close this out, my dude. All right, all right, all right. So we would like to thank our guests today, Ian Evans and Brooks Warren. This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.